hot wax dripping honey what do you say i got a brand new podcast that i want to play it's backtracks aerosmith revisited my name is cory morissette joined as always by the grumpiest man in north america john mariano john what's bugging you this week Corey, Corey, can you tell me what it takes to find a new podcast partner uh, you know what just put the call out there i'm sure dozens of people are going to be lining up to do a podcast with you i mean i mean i'll take i'll take like three people say yes i'd be happy well, you know what? Maybe our guest this week will take you up on that. He's been on the show before. Uh, he's an absolute podcasting legend from the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. It's the one and only Scott Haskins. Scott, how's it going, my friend? Hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, Scott. Oh, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me after uh, I thought maybe I wouldn't be invited back on the show after oh, my no. horrible pick. Well, it, was, it was not a horrible pick. I mean, I mean, it's it's not on the list anymore, but it wasn't a horrible pick at all. Would it last like three weeks, four weeks, maybe? I don't know. You got to ask Corey. He's in charge of the lists. It, it lasted a while. Cor- 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 Corey, why, why did you allow that to get taken off the list? Because I was I was beat down. Uh, I, I still suffer from PTSD from that that moment. You are such a bully. And you had just kicked me and kicked me and kicked me that finally I gave Scott, up. Scott, you see my hands right now, Scott? Because the people listening cannot see my hands i have no control of the list right it's Corey's screen Corey, you can see Corey's screen sharing right now right like we're, we're gonna pull back the curtain i have zero control i make suggestions and oh, then please. if Corey takes my suggestion it's kind of on him well i yeah there's there's suggestions but there's also suggestions with an air of strength and almost threatening behavior behind them, which could influence how that suggestion is carried out. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like here, here in New York, we're very kind and forthcoming. I had a lynx in my neighborhood a couple of weeks ago. Um, like there's a lot of wildlife out here. My kids play hockey. We're very friendly around here. Up by Corey, they have all kinds of crime going on right now. Crazy stuff is going on, right? They're a little agitated. Corey's kind of more along the lines of, I think, what you might be talking about. Well, and, and hockey is a gentleman's sport. This is, I mean, I, or gentle ladies, as my girls play. Very true. Very true. I, I would like to make, I, I'm not going to try and influence you to put it back on the list, but, but I would like to make an argument maybe for just future thought process why it should have stayed on the list. If you're going for a mixtape that shows a well-rounded, here's what this band is all about in all forms, uh, I think an instrumental would be an important thing to have on there because you have Steven Tyler popping up on every song, even when there's no need for vocals, just letting people know he didn't get fired during the recording of the song. It would be good to have a, you know, a song that kind of shows what the band can do because you have a lot of talented musicians that are kind of, often slid to the side to let Steven shine a little bit. So based on that, I think it would be nice to have a, at least an instrumental or something on the list that shows a little bit more what the band's capable of. And to that point, uh, I'd just like to point out, Brad Whitford uh, played the lead on that song. And uh, we don't have a lot of tracks on the mixtape currently where Brad Whitford played the lead. It'd be kind of nice to have a Brad Whitford lead on there. Corey, Corey I, know, I know you're anxious to chime in and make me sound like the bad guy here. Because it's easy. But I I I agree I agree with Scott here, because it wasn't my call to let one of the five band members end each one of our shows. Like we yes, could have. No, it wasn't. It was totally yours, dude. That's your. That's, I, I don't even produce the show, Scott. Where are my hands? <laughs> well, What's it with you and the fingers? All that proves is that you're not masturbating right now for the first time in months. No, it doesn't. Because I can still use my feet. Oh, okay. I forgot. That I, one inf- unfortunate Zoom call from three weeks ago. I'm getting visuals that I will never get out of my head now. Welcome to my hell. <laughs> yeah, you do a lot more shows with them than I do. Unfortunately, I do too, too many, apparently. <laughs> but I love that as much as you guys keep talking about finding another host, you guys work together so well. You you were the Abbott and Costello of podcasting. <laughs> I love that. I want to get that put on a T-shirt. Do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if only one of us could design shirts. Yeah, we, we need some guy who, who kind of knows the Photoshop, who maybe even worked for Photoshop. Do you know anybody, uh, John? It, yeah, yeah, Corey. Like, you've done a great job with the graphics so far on Twitter, so I think you should do it. I had to. I'm the only one doing anything for this show. You don't even do any prep. 
Oh, you, you, you finally admit it. Scott, you heard it here first. Corey does mm-hmm. everything. And I have nothing to do with what gets no, taken off the next you, day. You, you come up with every idea. You come up with every idea. You have just as much input as what's on the mixtape as what isn't. And you goddamn well know it, sir. I don't but, know what you're talking about. Listen, I'm just happy Scott's back because now I have a witness to, to your tyranny. I, to my I, attorney, thank you. I don't want to read into this too much, but I think what Corey just said was you're Henry Ford and he's the factory. <laughs> Yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you. From a from a Michigan native. I yes. appreciate that, sir. Thank you. And the one job John does have is to remind me of the sponsor, and he didn't. So I'm just going to go ahead. I know last week I said John was going to do the copy, but he can't be arsed to do anything. So I'll just read it here. Pop Rock and Radio. This is Ken Knapsack's Pop Rock and Radio. The big hits, album cuts, and B-sides from the rock and pop world that make up the soundtracks of our lives. Look for live shows and make requests. Sing, dance, and celebrate the music with the pop rock and radio community. He doesn't even let me save the copy, Scott. Like, it's not even my fault at this point. (laughs) I didn't see you jumping in, though, to be fair. I I tried to, but he goes so fast. I tried to? (laughs) It it is like trying to outrun the Flash when you deal with Corey. (laughs) My Lord. The Flash always wins, though, so. There you go. I really like Scott. We got to get him on more shows. He's sticking (laughs) up for me. I, I, I am all for Scott taking my place on most of these podcasts. No, wow. we'll make it a three-man panel. What do you think? There you go. Yeah. I'm... I can, yeah, I can let... record 17 shows a day like you guys do. Let, let, let's let's start with that Van Halen show that we'll, we'll turn into a three-man panel, and then we'll go from there. Now, that Van Halen show is not worth the effort. It's almost <laughs> done, by the way. You know, we're 40-some episodes in. We only go to 131, then we're done. So, Is that how that works? Yeah. Wow. That's all they recorded was 131 songs. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It seems like they'd been had they had they taken long hiatuses between recording. There was a few. Uh, obviously, there was no break between Dave and Sammy, but between Sammy and uh, uh, Gary Sharon, there was a big break, and then a, obviously a huge break between Van Halen Three and A Different Kind of Truth. So, wow, I didn't realize that because they've been around forever. Yeah, it's only like 12, 13 albums. Like not not a wow. not a big output. Yeah. Hmm. Well, while I have Scott here, because I have somebody who, who might be able to take my side on, on, on an idea, and not even an idea for one of my shows, I think you guys should do 132 episodes because I have an idea. Oh, Lord. I think that you should do, cover Wolfgang Van Halen at the, at the Taylor Hawkins tribute on one of I, your episodes. I, I've been trying to get Mark to just do the, that entire album, the Mammoth WVH album. It's one of my favorite albums released in the last 10 years. And what he did at the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert, phenomenal. Tears in my eyes. Just effortlessly how he goes out there and, and just rips in on fire and then hot for teacher. Like, like it was nothing, nothing. The guy is just immensely talented. I was, I was so moved by that whole, that whole day. Actually, I sat there for six hours and watched wow. the whole damn thing and loved every minute of it. Yeah, I would I would vote for that. I think that's a good idea, John. Thank you. See? So 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 now Corey, yeah, you, you have to do 132 episodes. Uh, I'm down with doing 100 like, doing 143 and doing that whole album and talking about the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. I mean, I, 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 mean, I mean Scott can see right here like I tried to put in like one little idea and Corey just shat all over it and now he's doing his own thing anyway. So I have no <laughs> power at all. Hmm. Enjoy your time with John Scott. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, let's do the movie again <laughs> there you go we're putting the movie back on the mixtape just to piss you, off john you know what though scott has a great point and we do have more room now Corey. yes we do so um i really think we should put an instrumental back on the list okay well maybe we nine. It definitely last week yeah we're, we're at it. nine which is the full one side unless you want to you think the, the movie is short enough that it's going to be the code to side A, or are you taking something off to put the movie back on? Oh, no, we got we, we to gotta take something off of there. Mm-hmm. But look, I'm making the decision to put it back on the list. And we, we brought Scott in as a guest. I want to give Scott some leeway and power here. And, we, you know, this is unprecedented to put something really back on the list like this. Scott, what would you like to take off the list? We have Sick as a Dog, Seasons of Wither. songs on here. Yeah. You, I, you, would, you. I would probably say 
I would probably say sick as a dog. Just, just, I mean, if you ask me five minutes from now, I might pick something else to be fair, but initially that would be my first call. Is it because we have too many animal songs going on? Like we have sick as a dog. We, 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 we have, we have rats in the cellar. We, we have walk in the dog. Do you feel yeah. like we're just representing too many animals right now? The playlist does have a bit of a barnyard aroma to it at the moment. Yeah, it oh. does. But I mean, just thinking, thinking in terms of the songs, I, I think sick as a dog is probably the most, I, I don't know, just in the moment, it feels like it's the most generic of all the songs that are on here. It could easily be replaced with something else. Well, there you go, Corey. So so the movie is back on. Now, I've been accused of taking too much power, but all I've done, Scott, is give power up on this show so far. Right? Um, yeah, on this episode, yes. I had no intention of, of, of expecting you guys would put the movie back on. I was just thinking of, of, you know, down the road for the thought process of making the overall best Aerosmith tape. But thank you. I, I think that song is is a valid song. But if it were up to Corey, the movie would still be off. It was my idea to put the How do you know this? I haven't said anything in five minutes because you've been yakking. How do you know what I would do? Because you didn't do it. I didn't get an opportunity because you took over the show like you so often do. Here's a thought while we got Scott here. Let's sequence side A. We have a full nine songs on here. Hmm. Uh, I, I think the movie makes a great coda to the end of side A. I would put that near the end. What should kick off currently side A of our mixtape, John? Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of rat, Rats in the Cellar, and it, 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 it fires on the all cylinders kicking off the gate. But that, It's that's, a rocker, yeah. Yeah. That's my preference. I don't mind that. Scott, do you have any thoughts? I think that would be good. Uh, you know, going from just just coming on a fresh side, because people don't always flip the tape over right away. So sometimes you want the second side to kind of be like, maybe you haven't listened to the second side yet. Maybe it's been a while since you listened to the first. So you got to kind of come out with some good rock to draw people. And I think that's a great choice. I agree. Let's put rats first. That's awesome. I would say maybe moving out second. The very first song that Steven Tyler Joe Perry ever wrote, I think it, it would segue nicely maybe from Rats in the Cellar to mm. go second track. What do you think? I, I'm nodding my head. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I actually don't mind the way it's kind of uh, right now. Rats in the Cellar moving out. Girl Keeps Coming Apart. Maybe a good mm -hmm. third track, right? Well, I was thinking No More, No More only because sometimes for a third track, you kind of want to slow it down just a little bit and then come back with a little bit of power. That's a good idea. Let's do that. I think John might be frozen. So we're just going to go ahead and sequence this whole thing while he's gone. What do you say, Scott? Do you mean him on the screen or him in real life? Both, actually. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Uh, we can actually say whatever. The, oh, he's back. Fuck. I was going to say, he's frozen. We can talk about it however we want. But no, he's back. My, Hi, computer, does not, my computer does not like Zoom is what it boils down to. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought maybe it was your internet connection. But while you were gone. Uh, we set, we kind of settled on Scott and I rats in the cellar moving out and then no more, no more is the third track girl keeps coming apart as the fourth track and then bone to bone seasons of weather moving out space to walk in the dog in the movie. What do you think? Why, why do we have moving out on there twice? Well, we didn't like that place. So we're moving out again. <laughs> it's that good, John. That's why <laughs> yeah, I, there you go. I, I really thought you were putting Billy Joel on this tape too. <laughs> when are we starting our Billy Joel podcast? I don't know. I, I got like six more ideas before we get to Billy. And, Bill, and oh. Billy grew up in my backyard, basically. You have Isn't no idea, great? Scott. Every once in a while, I get a phone call out of the blue with John saying, I got another idea for a podcast. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, really? I'm already doing three. Isn't that enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But Scott sleeping. has already agreed to be on the Aerosmith show, three-man panel. So That's uh, right. That That takes a little bit of the pressure off now. I mean, I mean, this is great. I skip a lot of episodes now. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm not kidding. If Scott wanted to come back and be a regular, I'd be all for that. I would. I'd totally do that, yeah. yeah. I, do I don't have a lot of knowledge about Aerosmith, but I, I would certainly be happy to uh, experience a lot of these songs for the first time listening to them with you guys. And that's fantastic because John and I, I think for the most part, I've heard pretty much... Well, John famously hasn't really heard anything past like nine lives. So he's rediscovering those. I've listened to everything. So to have somebody who hasn't really listened to much, I think might be a, an interesting perspective. 
Well, you know, it was it was one great thing about doing the Magicians podcast because I did not know every one of Uriah Heep's albums. There were some albums I had never heard. So going through 24 albums, songs that I knew that I'd been listening to for 30 years and knew every note of versus songs I was actually doing a first time reaction was a really nice variety. That's And that's why I, I love your show. And I'm listening to just kind of the newer stuff they've put out. I haven't even got to the older stuff that I haven't experienced mm-hmm. from Uriah Heep yet. So I can't wait to get into that. It's a lot of variety of styles. Their their 70s was very different from their 80s, was very different from the 2000s. They're really heavy now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really awesome. I, I really dig really? your right heap sound right now. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I really am. Uh, but I, I can see John's getting bored. So what do you no, say? I'm, I'm not getting bored. <laughs> I, I can I, tell you're masturbating again. First of all, when I'm masturbating, I make a much different face. Yes, so all too aware. Because that doesn't seem like you're enjoying it very much. No, no, because when I masturbate, I try to catch it when I'm done. He's an angry (laughs) masturbator. It's it's really a sight to behold. He scowls more than normal. It's a scowl. It's a scowl. Open mouth scowl is probably the best way to describe this guy. (laughs) Like a Mr. Bill face. That's right. (laughs) There, there, there's a reference not a lot of people are going to get, except the the three old farts on the panel. That's awesome. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Oh no. All right, so we're going to play an Aerosmith song here tonight, hopefully at some point, and we're going to go off of Scott's Die. Now, it's changed a little bit from, from last show. Um, we, we took the movie off, obviously, because we covered that one, and uh, we also changed uh, another track. So we're going to go through the, the, the six tracks here that, that Scott put on his die. Uh, we have Round and Round, You See Me Crying, which is a, a single, so that would actually go on the top ten list. Uh, Uncle Salty, which is a new one he put on there tonight, which I'm very excited about. Hangman Jury, one of the absolute best uh, from Permanent Vacation, and a track they just did. Uh, they re- uh, performed their first concert, Aerosmith did, in two years, just the other night, and Hangman Jury was in the, in the set list, so that's very nice. exciting. Uh, I'm Down, a great Beatles cover, and What It Takes, the live cut from uh, A Little South of Sanity, which uh, one of my favorite tracks off that live album, and John and I discussed before, one of our, our top maybe five all-time Aerosmith songs, so I'm very glad to see it on the mixtape tonight. John, what is your take on the six songs we have in contention here? I mean, I'm really hoping the Hangman Jury shows up. I, I love the representation of, of permanent vacation on, on this die. Um, and what it takes, you know, I, wait, wait, wait to spoil everybody by saying like it's a, a top five song because right. why, why, why even do a show at this point? Like we know it's going to be on like a bunch of stuff. Good night, folks. We're out of here. No. <laughs> Uh, Scott, maybe tell us why uh, these six tracks uh, stuck out to you. Well, you know, uh, I'm really only familiar with two Aerosmith albums, uh, Permanent Vacation and um, Toys in the Attic. Uh, Obviously, I'm not that familiar in my brain right now. Uh, So those are are the main ones. And then, of course, you know, some of the hits I know as well. Uh, These songs in particular, like You See Me Crying, has always been one that as soon as it's over, I just put it right back on and listen to it again. Round and Round has such an amazing feel to it, especially the last section of the song. Uh, I I just kind of don't want it to end. You know, every one of these songs just has a special connection to me somehow. That's awesome. I'm very much looking forward to getting into this one. Uh, Just taking a look at the set list here um, from... Uh, that show on September 4th. And uh, yeah, Hangman Jury uh, definitely was on there. Uh, Big 10-inch record, kind of a surprise they closed the show with. Uh, they did Back in the Saddle, same old song and dance, Ragdoll, uh, Mama Kin. Remember Walking in the Sand uh, from the Greatest Hits album, the very first Greatest Hits album, which uh, th- that's kind of a deep cut for them. Uh, Stop Messing Around, which that's the Joe song. They have to do a Joe song every show. And for the last decade, it's been Stop Messing Around. Uh, Hangman Jury, Season of Wither, Living on the Edge, Full Circle, uh, first time since 2013 that was played uh, from Nine Lives, Crying, The Other Side, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, uh, Love in an Elevator, Sweet Emotion, Dude Looks Like a Lady, then The Encore was Dream On, Walk This Way, and Big Ten Inch. So yeah, pretty cool set list and a pretty cool dive we got going here tonight. So John, what do you say? If we're ready, let's give this sucker a roll. If you want, go for it. And we are going to come up with... What it takes from a little south of Saturday. Here we go, a live cut here tonight. Uh, guaranteed to go on the mixtape right now because we only have two live tracks on there right now. Sweet Emotion and Mother Popcorn, which was the other song from a special guest that we put back on the mixtape, which we did last week. Uh, John, uh, we, we've already kind of spoiled it, but uh, what are your uh, impressions of what it takes? 
I, I mean, what it takes to me is one of the great breakup songs of all time, right? Um, people mistake it as like a power battle, battle love song. I see people dancing to it, couples dancing to it. I'm like, you know, the cynic in me wants to count the days to that couple breaks up because that's kind of what the song's about. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but it's such a beautiful song. So I get it. Like, I get why you want to dance with your girlfriends my, 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 or, or your wives or whomever. My, my, my advice to you is if you choose to listen to the song with your significant other, don't plan on it lasting too long. <laughs> and and I remember 1989, 1990, this was used in a lot of weddings. And I kind of had the similar reaction, like that marriage isn't going to last. Listen to the lyrics. It's it's not a love song. I think that's the thing is that people took the title and thought it was more of an inspirational, this is what it takes for us to be here, to stay together, where it's exactly the opposite of that. It's what does it take for me to get you out of my damn head? <laughs> exactly. It also had one of the one of my favorite Aerosmith videos of all time uh, with, with, with the band performing almost Blues Brothers style at the mm -hmm. old Honky Tonk Bar with the Chicken Wire uh, doing kind of their uh, Honky Tonk song, What It Takes. Uh, this was released in February 26, 1990. Uh, the B-side was Monkey on My Back, uh, written by Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, and Desmond Child, uh, one of the big contributors uh, for Aerosmith lyric-wise. Um, I, I, I don't want to spoil it because we're going to listen to the live take here, but uh, uh, it, anyone knows, John and I knows that Pump is a seminal album for both of us, and th this is one of the best tracks on it. So what do you say, boys? Let's get into a little South of Sanity and what it takes. There goes my old girlfriend. A... Sorry, were you cueing me, John, or were you just into it? I was dancing along to Steven Tyler, but it's also nice. Like, now that you bring it up, you, you know, Scott, are you okay that the band tunes out and lets Mr. Tyler rock the beginning of the song? Or does the musician, music lover in you who wants the bandmates forward prefer having the band start the song and then the singer chime in maybe eventually or never. You know, in a case like this, I think this is actually a great way to start this song. I love that delay that we're hearing on his voice. I love that level of reverb. It's a great introduction because it's saying, I'm just going to start this. And within two seconds, everybody will know what song we're about to do. And then when the band kicks in, it's just going to be that much more powerful. I like mixing it up live a little bit instead of just having the songs always perform the way they are in the studio. Um, I think my my issue with Steven is more like he's just always got to make sounds and stuff, even during guitar solos and things where it's like, just let the guitar, like this is his moment, let him have it. Uh, but in a case like this, I think this is a fantastic opening. That's fair. And especially for this song, because like like John said, it's a song about, you know, breakups and about unrequited love and uh very different from the other song desmond child wrote with these guys which was angel from permanent vacation but they wanted to make sure they didn't feel like angel was really indicative of the aerosmith kind of vibe so they mm. wanted to put more aerosmith into the power ballad if you will uh from <laughs> pump and that became the country western uh tone of what it takes I, I really like to believe that they were going out with Angel during permanent vacation. And by the time Pump came out, they broke up. And this it's is the same girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be Man, that, that relationship did not last long. It, it ended horribly. <laughs> Love the diamond ring. And all those late night promises. I guess they don't mean a thing. So, baby, what's the story? Did you find another man? Well, it's easy to sleep in the belly, man. When you don't look back, I guess the feelings start to fade away. One of my one thing we had to consider when it comes to live tracks is the crowd. And I love that he takes that pause and the crowd kind of builds because they, they know what's coming. And that's one of my favorite parts about this version specifically of what it takes, um, which, uh, you know, intros maybe even better than the album version because I love this acapella version. And then we're going to get to it after I start playing the song again when the song kicks back in. But 
the, the crowd and that slow build, one of my favorite parts of a live track. Yeah, I think the the thing that's really nice about this too is that he has a little bit of uh, room to go off tempo. He can speed up a couple words. He can slow down because the music isn't being affected by it. So you have a little more control over this. But the crowd, he's got them in the palm of his hand. Uh, you can you can hear it in every seat that they're just waiting and waiting, and he's just got them. Hundred percent, great. And John and I have both seen uh, Aerosmith. John seen him a, a few different times, and that's what makes Steven Tyler one of the best frontmen in rock. When you say John. I look when you when you can control a crowd like this just with the pauses and what you're gonna sing, right? Like I I just you know I'm gonna keep referencing this this Taylor Hawkins thing that happened this weekend, but we ju we just watched Brian May command Wembley Stadium and get them to become his front man, right? Um, there there are certain rockers whether whether, whether like it's a it's a rock star. Right. And Steven Tyler is a rock star. And if you could command the crowd like this and just own them, um, you're a rock star. And, and that, that's what we get to witness audibly right now. I used to feel your mouth, but now it's cold inside. Now you're back on the street like you didn't miss a beat. Yeah. So there's our first uh, lyric change on the live version. Uh, on the studio version, of course, he goes right in to tell me what it takes to let you go. Um, John, are you a fan of when uh, singers uh, kind of mix it up either intentionally or maybe they just kind of forgot the lyric at the time? I'm actually a huge fan of it, right? Like, I like live TV. I like when things happen, whether it's intentional or not. I I like when things change up. I like when you surprise me and something's different. So that's why I'm at the show for stuff like this. Do you guys remember the show uh, Solid Gold that was on yes. TV back in the 80s? They basically played the record and had the band out there with instruments making it look like they were they weren't even plugged in. When I go to see a live show, I want to hear a different version of the song. I want a different tempo. I want different inflections. I want a different solo. If I wanted the record, I'd stay home and listen to the record. 100%. Top of the Pops in the UK was another one where mm -hmm. uh, artists, especially like a North American artist, would get over there and were aghast that, you know, they were playing a drum kit that had those rubber cymbals because they yeah. didn't have to make any noise because they were just going to play the album track. So mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. I saw, I saw Guns N' Roses play in my hometown in Madison Square Garden. And during the guitar solo for November Rain, Slash kicked into the Godfather theme in the heart of New York. And I don't think it gets any better than that. <laughs> That's oh, what a great place to see a show. Uh, the other thing, too, I want to point out, I really like about this is that there was no drum roll intro. The band just kicked in. That made it so much more powerful to me. The one thing I think it's lacking for me is one of the things that I particularly love about this song specifically is when Steven backs his his vocals up, Tell me what it takes to let you go. When he's double tracking that in the studio, that has so much power to it. And I feel like without another voice in here, it sounds a little bit thin. But that's the difference between listening on the record and being there. I'm not in the moment. I'm not caught up in the emotion and the energy and the crowd of all of this. That's why in general, I, I don't listen to a lot of live music for that reason, because I don't feel the connection that the crowd does. Yeah, and it's really a great point because Aerosmith is one of those bands where because Steven does double a lot uh, of his vocals when that doesn't happen live and they had a touring uh, keyboard player that would sometimes uh, you know sing underneath but it just wasn't the same and, and you're right that that element is really missing and you can say that with, with, with a lot of bands but Aerosmith is really really prevalent for that because uh, when Joe sings backup or when he sings like it, it's not good uh, especially lately like he's just a very different vocal style than steven tyler 
So uh, you're right. It maybe doesn't have that, that that kind of same punch to the point where I think Steven Tyler might even be playing with a track right now uh, of his background vocal uh, underneath. So I, w- I want to take a minute and kind of defend the, the band and Steven for a minute and put the onus on the crowd, right? The crowd should be what Scott's looking for and filling that void right now. And they are not singing along and they they are, they're cheering, but they're kind of dead. And, and I want to, I want to point my finger at the crowd and listen, if you're in an Aerosmith crowd and you're not singing along, that's on you. You know, that's, that's a, a fair point. point. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. And I guarantee when they're singing walk this way, the crowd is singing along every word with that song. I guarantee it. Absolutely. That's, and that's John, a great point. Yes. And John had referenced the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. Look at a song like my hero, 80,000 people were singing my hero along with Dave Grohl during that song. So uh, great point, John. That's the last time I'm complimenting you on this episode. <laughs> So imagine that playing at a wedding with the bride and groom <laughs> dancing along. It, it, it's like whenever they play, uh, you know, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life at like a graduation. It's like, listen to the lyrics. It's not the song you think it is. I had a friend who's a karaoke host and at their wedding, they each sang a song and she picked, I can't believe I shaved my legs for this. <laughs> Very fitting. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to add to the mix is not the best. I think we could use a little bit more guitar. Uh, I don't know if they're playing with a keyboard player. I'm not really hearing a piano like like you would in this song. Uh, but I think musically what I'm hearing, I like. I, I would just like maybe a little bit more balance to it. Well, that's fair. And I think uh, because this was kind of uh, an album to kind of finish off the Geffen contract, it may not have had the uh, attention and the care that it, it, it kind of deserved. They were just kind of rushing through the Geffen contract to get to their Columbia deal. Uh, mm-hmm. So little things like that. This is probably just a raw mix right off the board. I, th- I would think pretty much. I think everybody did that with Geffen when their contract was ending. Didn't they? Yeah. And you, you kind of get in the background, but one of the things that makes this song is the accordion. And we, we didn't get a lot of that early. You kind of hear it kind of muted in the background there. I don't know if they had a accordion player on this tour, but it's one of the things that Joe, uh, uh, Brad Whitford, or sorry, Joe Perry went on to say, uh, and I quote, the thing that made it for me was when Fairbairn and, and producer Bruce Fairbairn put an accordion on it. That gave it the flavor it needed. Otherwise, it would just have been nice chords and nice changes. Corey, do you know how much it costs to bring an accordion player with you on tour? Uh, no, but I can't imagine it's that much. I would, I would, I would imagine your your choices are only eating green M and M's or having an accordion player. And I need my green M and M's on tour. Really? Oh, they don't get paid. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, that is a that is a great point. And I would, but I mean, you're talking about Aerosmith. They're selling out the biggest arenas all over the country, if not the world. Uh, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be able to reasonably afford that without taking a huge hit. But to do that for one song, you're probably better off having your keyboard player covering that on a good accordion patch than you would be hiring a guy to just come out and do that one song. And that's probably what it was. Like, it's different than the permanent vacation tour when they had uh, the Tower of Power horn section tour with them because they did a a ton of songs with with horns on them, right? This is the Mm -hmm. only song that I can think of offhand that has accordion on it yeah i would say that's probably more likely it's probably the keyboard player yeah i've i've worked for corporations that have canceled pizza friday so i think that you know arguing how much money they have is kind of a moot point if they want to cut a corner they're going to cut a corner that's that's very true <laughs>
So there you are, Scott. That proves your point. That's Steven Tyler just making noise to prove he's still there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love the the guitar sound, though. I mean, they kept it very true to the uh, to the studio version. Uh, oh, yeah. which I really love the sound on that. I think they got something really quite special. And uh, I, I like that they did that for the live song too. 100%. I love that 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 guitar tone on there. And Joe Perry, I thought, was killing it. John, what do you think? I was a big fan of Stephen coming in and supporting his friends at the end of the guitar solo. I also appreciate a guy who lets you know, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I'm going to let you know, here's where the guitars play, by yelling guitar before I'm going to stop singing for Ricky. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, whenever a lead singer shouts out guitar before the guitar solo, that's, oh, I love that shit. Yeah, I did that on a song uh, years and years ago on my comedy album. And I and when every time I listen back to it, I kind of cringe. I'm like, I can't believe I put that in there. Okay, okay, Scott, Scott if you do another comedy album, can I make a recommendation for you? Yes. Do the exact same thing, only instead of saying the word guitar, I want you to yell, guitar. Ooh, I was going to say slide whistle, but guitar, that's, yeah, those are cool. <laughs> Even worse, yell bass. Who the hell ever calls for the bass player to, to do something? <laughs> I, I won't add that I'm a bass player. Um, <laughs> Les, Les Claypool yells bass. He would. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he would. I, I will, I will agree that the harmony did sound very nice. Uh, Steven sounded very nice with the guitar, but again, like, you, you've just been singing nonstop. You started off the song. You sang two verses by yourself. Uh, you know, let let some people in the band shine for a minute. It's it's okay. Exactly. Uh, Scott, I'm kind of curious. What do you think about the song structure? I know Brad Whitford uh, kind of went out and said that, it, you know, it started out just a little keyboard song, but they, they kind of felt that there was something special about it. Uh, so they they approached it in a much different manner than they would just kind of your your standard keyboard type ballad. Yeah, it, it definitely has a lot more to it. I think there's a lot of nice fill-in from the guitar that we're really not hearing now. You can hear it more on the studio version. Uh, the accordion is an excellent addition because it adds an unexpected and really unique dynamic that makes the song even more memorable. You know, especially at the end when the accordion kind of goes off a little bit, when when Steven's just riffing. I really love the way that comes together. I'm curious to see how they do that here. But the structure itself, yeah, it's not it's not just it doesn't really just feel like a standard verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo ballad. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it, I can't explain what it is, but it does feel a little bit unique and, and non-standard. And, and it's weird because uh, Steven Tyler's, uh, his attitude towards it originally was, um, I'll do a lot of ballads. If that's what it takes, that's kind of where the title came from. If that's what it takes to get a kid to listen to F-I-N-E, fine, or monkey on my back, then I'll do it but it kind of evolved from like the angel style ballad into uh, a, a much different uh, kind of ballad, especially in, in 1989. And I found mm -hmm. that really refreshing. I would agree with that. Okay, Johnny, you and I have had some heartbreak in our life. How fucking great is that verse? Look, th this is my second favorite breakup song of all time. How and I know you're first. And, and yeah, I, I, I totally get okay. that. But the, wait, does Scott I, know I my first? Know. I don't know I, your first. <laughs> so, so, Scott, you know, going a slightly off brand, I also listen to a lot of typo negative, which is probably another podcast I'd like to do at some point in my life. And they have a song called Unsuccessfully Coping with the Natural Beauty of Infidelity, also known as I Know You're Fucking Someone Else. <laughs> and here I thought you were going to pick a Debbie Gibson tune, <laughs> which is another podcast you could do. 100%. Yeah, Lost yeah, in the pod. <laughs> if, if, I, if I could do a more mall tour 1986 podcast, I think I would. You could. She's doing cruise ships now, I think. There you uh, go. Sweet. With Tiffany. I gotta, oh, I got to go on that cruise. I have to say, I, I love the level of emotion that we're hearing in the vocals. Because again, like, like when you're singing ballads and you've sung them over and over and over, you're doing it live, you might not really be able to tap into the level 
that you were at when you recorded it or when you first wrote it. And I think he's really bringing it here. You know, that's a great point, because on this same album, they do a version of Angel that sounds like just paint by numbers. Here I am doing a ballad, no emotion in it, but I 100% agree with you. He is invested in this, and especially in this verse. Tell me that you're happy that you're on your own. Tell me that it's better when you're all alone. Tell me that your body doesn't miss my touch. Tell me that my loving didn't mean that much. Tell me you ain't dying when you're crying for me. Like, that's Steven Tyler lyric writing at its best. Mm -hmm. But if John's right, and this is the same girl, it's probably a lot harder to sing Angel after oh, yeah. this happened. Yeah. No, that's 100%. Yeah, because they do Angel earlier in the set and earlier on the album. And yeah, he's probably just like, fuck that bitch. And then when you get to <laughs> what it takes, it's like, yeah, he's putting his whole heart and soul into it. Yeah. That's got to be canon now, John. That, that was a great observation. I 100% believe that the girl from Angel uh, is the girl from what it takes. Uh, uh it's probably also the same girl from Girl Keeps Coming Apart. <laughs> I still want all of that to be true. <laughs> Tell me who's to blame for throwing rice, John. Uh, I, I don't know. Probably the jerks on table eight. <laughs> but we, wow, we all kind of, oh, yeah, when, when that build was happening, John and I, because we knew it was coming, it was just like Steven slows it down and then he takes that pause, lets the crowd get into it, and then brings them up uh, when, when he sings dice. Very powerful moment. And I, I think, now I said in the first one, when they did this at the beginning, that I was glad they didn't start it with a drum fill. I like that they used the drum fill on this one. It didn't just all come in again. But yeah. did you guys notice that we either hear the accordion or we hear the piano? So I'm going to say that accordion is their keyboard player. 100%. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I didn't, I didn't pick that out, but uh, would not shock me because... Uh, just what I know of the band, yeah, I would think 100% that's the keyboard player. Mm -hmm. Sounds really good. I, I'm, not a sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of live versions of songs, but I have to say this is really good. Now, originally, you kind of thought it was missing some of that power that the studio version did. Uh, what are you thinking now as we are winding down here with a minute 10 left? I still think the verses could use a little bit of extra kick, but just just because it doesn't it doesn't feel that same power, but I will say when he's kind of going off on his own a little bit, he's bringing it to a way that really compensates for that. That's what it takes from a little south of sanity. And I should point out, I looked it up. Russ Irwin uh, was the keyboard player for Aerosmith uh, on from, well, from 97 right through to two, uh, 2014. Uh, he played on a little south of sanity, which we just heard. Uh, you Gotta Move, Rockin' the Joint, which is another live album. Uh, Music from Another Dimension, uh, which is the album they released, their last album in 2012. And uh, two tracks uh, from Rock for the Rising Sun, which is one of their uh, 
one of their last live albums. John, uh, what did you think of that live version of What It Takes? Look, I want to bring us back to 1998, and you know, music was transitioning. Limp Biscuit and Corn were all the rage, and th- these were things that were happening that we're not so proud of, but they they happened back then. And it, it feels like the crowd was not like the best thing going right now. Like you know, to Scott's point, that it, you know, some things fell a little flat. I think the cloud the crowd was very flat. And I don't know if they were just washed out in the production, but I like, we feel that this might be underproduced. So if this is un- underproduced, they didn't wash the crowd out. The crowd's just not there. And I, I blame the 1998 crowd for, for not filling this song a little bit more because it deserves it. Like the band brought it. And we <laughs> don't know point. where this, yeah, we don't know where this is recorded. I'm just kind of looking through uh, on this album. Uh, a lot of the tracks are taken from like New York around that area, like Albany, uh, a couple from Seattle, but we don't know from what performance uh, this version of this song was taken from. Do we know where it was at in the set list? It was it towards the, the latter half. I'm just wondering if maybe there was a song that came before it that the crowd was just like fried themselves on. And then for this one, they really couldn't be present. You know what? I will look that up uh, on the album. Uh, it's right near the end. It's actually in between do looks like a lady which i think usually ended uh the main set uh so what it takes could have kicked off the encore according to the album because it segues from that into sweet emotion but uh, while you guys chat i'll look that up so, so scott what we really need to do right now is we need to empower the listeners to find out if anybody was at one of these 1998 shows and find out why the crowd sounds like a wet fart yeah cuz I don't think with the crowd I don't think it's it's a matter of it being a bad mix. I think they're not really responsive to the song. I would have thought at least they would have been singing along with the let go part. Yeah, I I I'm completely blaming the the music that comes out that year to just dif- disenfranchising. I mean, I just watched the entire Woodstock special that blame blame these bands for, for lots of things that weren't their fault. So I'm going to blame these bands for, for, for the wet fart of a crowd we're listening to. Yeah, I, I could definitely see what you're saying about the backing vocals could have been filled in by the crowd. I, I don't disagree with that. The only thing I would consider to the crowd's defense would be where now where it appears on the album doesn't necessarily mean that's where it appeared in the show uh they might have done it in a different order they they always they don't always splice live albums together in the order that the show was done but uh that might be the only defense that i think the crowd has is that it might have just been placed somewhere where they weren't going to be at their prime to respond to it uh the aerosmith plays a long show you know they're not out there for 45 minutes they do like two hour shows well, back then they okay, did. Okay, now, Scott- now they're doing ninety minutes. It's nineteen songs, yeah. but uh, back then, and I'm kind of looking. Uh, w- uh, what it takes was largely in the encore, uh, following uh, sometimes ba- uh, big ten inch record, uh, sometimes Mamakin. It's usually the second song in the encore, right before Sweet Emotion. So, to John's point, uh, it's kind of inexcusable that they're not really amped up at this point in the show. Yeah, so, and, and Scott, what really pisses me off here. Is like I just saw Elton John. He's like seventy-five years old. I just saw him a couple of weeks ago, and he got an entire geriatric crowd singing along to Crocodile Rock, doing the la 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 for five straight minutes. The, wow. he, he got the crowd singing. Right, the crowd was winded just getting to their seats, and, and halfway through the show, they were all in it and singing along. So a nineteen ninety-eight Aerosmith crowd. This is inexcusable. Yeah, because you're talking what people in their 20s to 40s, probably. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. let's put it in perspective. Like, it's not an Aerosmith crowd. Like, you go to the residency, and and it's it's like people are like coughing or whatever in between their gambling, listening to Aerosmith. Fine, I get that. But like 1998, this is inexcusable. Yeah, especially if this was from Madison Square Garden, I would say I you know Madison Square Garden crowds are typically you know, on their feet from beginning to end and they're very noisy, rowdy crowds. So that would be disappointing too if this one was caught in Madison Square Garden. Right, yeah. right around the, that time in the garden, I saw I saw a page and plant reunite in the garden and, you know, nobody nobody sat in their seat the whole show. Oh, so sorry. I've seen count, count, countless shows in the garden. My first show it was Meatloaf and 
you know, people were up that entire show. That was 94. So, you, you know, pe- people, people do that. So what, where, why they're not doing that here? I'm guessing they just told the crowd to sit on their hands. I have no excuse. Uh, I've been looking through the set list. Largely what it takes uh, was part of the encore. So uh, I guarantee it's not a Madison Square Garden show because like Scott said, usually those are very boisterous crowds. I would expect, you know, where is Aerosmith not that popular? Maybe like Midwest? Uh, I don't know. I'm not really, uh, you know, big on America. I, I can't imagine there's a place they're not popular. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Wait, wait. But, but but your question that you're asking us, Corey, is where in America are Aerosmith tickets sold that Aerosmith fans buy Aerosmith tickets that go to the show and they're not popular at their own show? Not as popular. There's a lot of, like, we've all been to concerts with dead crowds, right? Like, I remember seeing Queen and Adam Lambert in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and it was the deadest crowd I'd ever seen. Nobody even got up and sang Love of My Life, which John was referencing earlier, the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. He was doing Love of My Life, and he had 80,000 people at the palm of his hand. Saskatoon was a, it landed like a wet fart. Nobody gave a fuck. It was terrible. Wait, wait. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, both Scott and I are from Detroit and New York, respectively. And I, it doesn't surprise me that Saskatoon was kind of a dead crowd. How about you, Scott? It gets cold up there. Right. It's true. It's kind of like Fargo, North Dakota. Like, like, like I, I would imagine, like their their hands are like in their pockets or in their hand warmers or, or ice fishing or whatever they do around there. Were they wearing toques at the show? Uh, at the Queen show, probably, yeah. That's it. They're just too cold. But, you know, even it, it's interesting. I, I noticed this a while back. Even going to the different Cirque du Soleil shows here in Vegas, you'll have crowds that cheer after every song. Then they'll start cheering when they were actually supposed to because there was a miscue and they thought they were supposed to cheer because they thought the act was over. And then they'll they'll just erupt at the end. They'll all be out of their seats, standing ovation. And then there's other times where it's just clapping and nobody gets up at the end. It's a really weird thing. It is. And same with Saskatchewan, which is nowhere near Las Vegas, but I referenced that Saskatoon show, which was really bad, but then I saw Metallica in Saskatoon and that crowd was on their feet and jumping and singing the entire night. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just weird how that works. And I imagine being in Las Vegas, uh, because you get all these bands through all the time, like Aerosmith doing a big residency in Las Vegas. Maybe you guys are a little spoiled. In Saskatchewan, we we don't get fucking anybody coming up here. So when I remember when the Rolling Stones came in, in the late 90s, it was like front page news. They had to add a second show because we never get bands of that ilk, whereas in New York and in Vegas, you guys get all those acts all the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. But also, and I don't know so much about New York, but I know here people will come here to see that band. So we do get the local crowds, but we also get a lot of tourists that come up to see, you know, if Aerosmith is playing five nights here, people are coming from California and New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, So there is there is a good amount of tourists in that crowd as well. But yeah, I I do think I, I do feel very lucky to live in a place where, you know, bands might skip Denver, they might skip Phoenix, but very few bands skip Vegas. About 12 years ago, I went to a little venue around here called Jones Beach, which is the, the southern beach here on Long Island. I saw one of the most raucous crowds I've ever witnessed in New York. You know, Corey says we're spoiled or whatever. We get up for everybody. You know who we got up for that night? James Taylor. <laughs> well, who is known for his rowdy crowds, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know what Corey's talking about. We, we, we get up for everybody around here. Which is great. Which is great. Like, uh, like, like I said, I saw Queen and Adam Lambert in Saskatoon, dead crowd. I saw Queen and Paul Rogers in Minneapolis. The crowd was into it from the very beginning. And it was one of the best concert experiences I ever had. And I went and saw Def Leppard in Las Vegas, traveled there, met the band, did the whole thing during their residency. Fantastic crowd, had the time of my life. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's nice that we do the residencies here because you get four or five chances to see the band. And a lot of times they'll do meet and greets that they might not do because sometimes they got to fly straight from a show to the next uh, the next town and they don't get to do them. So it's it's good to have a little bit of, a, you know, a buffer where you can get some extras. Well, and Aerosmith currently going through residency, that's it affords them the opportunity to change up the set list when they're mm-hmm. on tour. They hardly ever change it up. Uh, they'll, they have a couple of swing songs that they might substitute in, but on a residency, you know, they might completely change the set from one night to another. And we talked about this on the last show, John, we looked at the uh, 
what they had uh, posted as a potential set list and all their alternates. Uh, there was just as many alternates as songs on the set list. So uh, whichever night you go, you're going to get a totally different show. Yeah, well, I mean, they have, a, they have a lot of songs, Corey, so they have a lot. That's true. That is true. I- I do want to point out one more thing about this song, uh, and I find it especially funny that people are playing this at weddings. But, you know, there's the line in there at the end of the chorus where he talks about, you know, are are you hurting as much as I am when you think of me? Uh, I can't remember the exact line now, but what people tend not to think about, even when they're writing the lyrics to to these kinds of songs, is that they're probably not hurting that much over you because they left you a long time before they actually left you. You're writing this because this is fresh for you. Oh, there it is. Um, oh, well, uh, tell me you ain't dying when you're crying for me. Yeah, she's probably not, just so you know. <laughs> she she left you months ago. You just didn't know it. And you know, you're just finding this out now. So to you, the wound is fresh. But you're hoping, I think you're hoping because it's hurting you that it's hurting her as much, but it's probably not. Man, there's Scott bringing down the whole room right at the end of the show. <laughs> well, Did you just, it's not you, it's me, Steven Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> not, no, not really. He totally uh, but, but did. I, I, but I always, I, I always find lines like that in songs interesting because you you think it's it's just this just happened so this must be just as bad for them but it's it's probably not and you hope it is because you as much as you want them back and, and you want this all to work out you kind of want them to hurt a little bit like you are oh yeah and like you said they never ever do uh john any final words on what it takes look you tipped our hand when you said this is one of our favorite songs in aerosmith um, I think it's going to be on our live album for a long time. I think, you know, the 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 filler and and the the crowd might hurt it in the long run, but the opening to this song, you're going to be hard pressed to find a better opening to a live song that we're going to put on this tape. I agree, and I think that's maybe the only live version that was officially released uh, by Aerosmith. So uh, we don't have a lot of options when it comes to this absolutely classic song. Uh, Scott, I'm, I'm just assuming you're cool with its place on the live side of our new mixtape. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it, it's funny too, because I, I told you when I first picked the song, I'm, I was kind of hoping that we pulled this one because then we would have something for your new format, which would be really cool. But honestly, if we, if we had picked any of them, I'd have been happy, but I really, I really like this live version. I think it's fantastic. I agree. And like John said, the, the crowd's a little flat, but the mm-hmm. band I thought killed it. There is. Uh, a live version from uh, Rock in the Joint. If you get the Target exclusive uh, CD, uh, they they did Living on the Edge and What It Takes. Uh, I don't have that, John. If you can find that uh, somewhere, that'd be great. But there's maybe another opportunity to to hear this song live. Are you giving me homework, man? Yep, hundred percent. I think we established I don't do any work on this podcast, and that everything that happens is your fault. Well, we've added Scott now uh, as a co-host, so about time you pull your weight. No, no, Scott, Scott, Scott's here to just exact blame on you too, so don't worry about it. Now, now we, we can double down on it. I thought I it was just like the a... eye candy for an audio podcast. <laughs> I feel like I have an ally now. I want to have John uh, pushing me around all the time. Ooh, the dynamics have changed. <laughs> it's two on one now. But it's not going to stop John from masturbating. Scott, where can the fine folks find you online? Well, I am all over the place. You can listen to my podcast. I have Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast, as well as the Haskin Cast podcast, where I do album reviews and uh, celebrity interviews and different people in the entertainment business. And you can also find me on my website at scott at scott Hask- or uh, scotthaskin.com. Perfect. And John, where can the folks find you? Um. I mean, you can find me here on this podcast. You can find me on another podcast with Corey where we talk about theme music, um, Backtrack's theme music. Um, sometimes you can find me um, annoying Mark Meyer on um, an Aerosmith podcast that I'll let Corey plug. And sometimes you can find me bothering our sponsor, Ken Knapsack, on his shows, though probably not as often as he'd like sometimes, but I got to get in there more. Well, I tell you, you're probably referencing the Van Halen podcast and not the Aerosmith podcast because you're on that (laughs) currently as we speak. 
You can also always find John in a puddle of his own juices. That's right. <laughs> and you can find me on the aforementioned Van Halen podcast and the podcast Will Rock, where we're breaking down the entire uh, Aerosmith, or sorry, I almost pulled a John, the entire Van Halen catalog one track at a time. And you can find me on Backtracks theme music, where we're talking music from movies. And Little Birdie told me we have a rumor that maybe Scott Haskin is going to be on that show as well, uh, talking about one of his favorite songs from a movie. Maybe give us a little tease for that, Scott. I'm just going to say you're the best. There you have it. We'll leave it at that, folks. On behalf of our guest, Scott Haskin, and John Mariano, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, we'll give the final word to Steven Tyler. (laughs) 